is Jesse Rogers. Welcome to Resurgent Us, where we evolve together, transforming ourselves to transform the world. I am here today with my uh, recent friend, Nick, who we've met uh, over Facebook and we've been uh, uh, writing for Medium. He actually got me into Medium. And so uh, I look forward to talking about some of his writing and, and getting to know him a bit better. He's also been with the group for a little while. So uh, Nick, go ahead and say hello. Hi, I'm I'm Nick Argel. Um, I think Jesse got me into Medium. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, that that him signing up was the thing that generated uh, the first two cents I ever earned for from Medium. Um, and it was really it was really cool to to have an article that I could say this is my two cents worth. Um, and it stayed that way for quite a while. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's been fantastic to be overtaken by you without being completely left in the dust. Um, and, uh, and and going on that writing journey together. Um, and and also really, really inspiring to see that there are people, you know, it, it can feel very lonely when you're a person who's trying to get to see all the sides of the coin and, and, and trying to get things to connect. And I, I, I noticed that I'm coming in and out of the feed. I apologize for my Australian internet, um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that the world is becoming a less lonely place for bridge builders. And I think you're doing something really important as far as that's concerned. I, I appreciate you saying that. And I and I really appreciate you being part of it because, uh, you know, as much as I've influenced you, uh, uh, you, you've been an influence on me by kind of introducing this as a, as, as, a, as a, like you said, a bridge from where we are right now to where I want to take the group. And it just, it really clicked into place once I saw you post that first Medium article. And uh, I, I actually, I think you might've even posted one before that. I don't remember. So I, I, I've seen Medium before, but it just never really, until I saw, wait a minute, just regular people are doing this. Like anyone can can jump on and do this. You know, that that's like, that's really where the power comes from. It's the democratization of the ability to speak. Medium is really interesting from that point of view, and I really like their business model in terms of it's free to get on, it's free to say what you like. If you want to use it as a publishing platform and put things outside their paywall, you can do that. And I did that for years, and I have articles that are outside the paywall that have got far more views than the stuff that's now earning me. Like, I think I earn basically, um, I'm earning three cents a day at the moment, which is not quite enough to live on but it is it is really good for the ego except at the beginning of the month i for the first four or five days of august i had no earnings and i'm staring at my complete lack of earnings i'm like oh my god what am i going to do without the dollar 20 that i made last month um, <laughs> but it does get like that it's like a video game or something it becomes obsessive <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I had I had three days where my stats were going in this nice upward direction, and I'm like, oh yes, I'm on an upward trend. Great, um, and then it crashed. It just fell off a cliff, and sort of bounced back down to like triple what it was a month earlier. But I wasn't paying attention to triple what it was a month earlier. I was paying attention to like being a quarter of what what it was yesterday. Right, um, getting addicted to that success. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, you know, because I'm, you know, I, because I, I know that uh, a month ago, like you, you had made um, four cents, and I'd made eight cents or something like that, and I'm like, <laughs> yay, I'm twice as professional as you, um, 
and now I think you've made like a dollar fifty, and I've made a dollar twenty or something, and um, and 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 you're you're taking this so like you're you're in the writing and community building business, and I really admire that, and I don't. I don't quite have the front for it. I need people like you to sort of pull me into the to the spotlight. Um, and ideally, I want to hide behind my work. Um, this whole authentic human being thing is—I don't think it's really for me. I don't—I don't like it. But I'm learning to cope. It's scary stuff. I know. <laughs> putting yeah. your, putting yourself out there—it's it's pretty crazy. Um, and and you know the the beautiful thing about being as small as we currently are is that no one's going to be interested enough to flame us. It's really just going to be the people that love us that, at this stage that are that are going to be, you know, even willing to take a look. Oh, but what uh, if the people that love us are unhappy for some reason? That's terrifying. <laughs> I'd much rather be hated by a thousand strangers than to have two of my friends go, Nick, that was bad. <laughs> right, right. No, well, I, and, and, I, and I've had plenty of that. I mean, I've, I've sent, uh, you know, I've sent my link out to like all my family members and stuff, you know. And, and I'll get like the ones that actually look at it. They're like, wow, I really like this. But most of them, I don't hear back. <laughs> they, they just don't even click the link. But the problem is I in, like the written word. I've been involved in too many projects that I get so excited about. And then, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get that enthusiasm and then, oh, something else shiny comes along and I, and I chase after that. But the beautiful thing about Medium is that all the shiny stuff is on one platform. So if you get, you know, if you get uh, interested in this, well, now you can start writing about that. And, you know, you can jump from publication to publication. Everything's there. You can learn whatever you want. And, 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 it's, and it rewards you in, in, in these unexpected kind of ways, right? So um, I wrote, you know, I, I've written an article on the number one thing that Australian business owners can do to support the mental health of their staff, right? And, and that's classic business headline stuff, right? Um, and that's earned me four cents so far. And that's, you know, beats the hell out of zero, but it's not like the, off the dollar 20 I made last month. 90 cents comes from language and cultural affordance, which is the article that you read. It's, it's, it's not, it's not this fancy marketing thing. It's not go, it, it, like I wrote it for an audience of 20 people. Um, there were 20 people were having a conversation about um, cultural affordance and complexity theory. It was this really like it's the tiniest niche in the world. Um, and, and it turns out that people are actually interested in tiny niches. And Medium has been really good in terms of helping me, helping me see that, like, you know, they will pay me more for, for, um, for something that appeals to a small niche of subscribers than they will for something that appeals more gently to very large numbers of people who are very well serviced already by other writers. Yeah. And I... It's it's a it's a really smart set of incentives for for them then becoming you know they're, they're they're becoming the Netflix of writing right Netflix is mm -hmm. basic strategy you know you look at Netflix and it's um and they don't they they've got a little bit of blockbuster style concept concept stuff but a lot of it is you know Portuguese dramas and Brazilian dramas and Japanese dramas and Korean dramas and gay dramas and it's like all you know they're targeting all the micro niches and and if you manage to hit all the micro niches then there's actually a lot of money in that mm -hmm. um, and so it's a great platform for them 
um, because everybody's got Netflix because everybody feels like a minority in some part of their lives. And Medium, I think, is is pursuing a very similar strategy. It's smart and it's and it celebrates diversity, and we get to have all the awesome people doing all the awesome little things. And I can and I can and I can write this really obscure article that people actually want to read. And so the last you know the the journey I've been on for the last couple of months is is discovering that I'm not as irrelevant and stupid as I've believed that I am for quite some time. And and that's exactly what what my mission is is to to help all of us come to that realization. And I think it's it's kind of a self-reinforcing and a in a a momentum building process when you when you get connected with this mastermind of of you know 20 people or 50 people or however many people it is that have that same that same drive even if they're scattered all over the world mm. uh you know as as the group is you're i think you're you're one of uh one of the only or maybe the only australian and uh, uh and you brought in a canadian as well uh bob bob mcclintock so uh, uh, you know, oh, yeah. to um, give us that international, <laughs> that international edge. There is, there is a. I, I, I think he's in Resurgence. He's in one of the groups that we're in. Oh, hi, Fred. Hey, Fred. Um, I hope this goes well too. Um, and um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm definitely the most openly Australian guy in the, <laughs> right. of the conversations. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's this. One one of the things I we, we we mentioned briefly in the green room, like I have this accent that is from nowhere because I went to the International School of Beijing for, for two yeah for a year and a half, and um, and I was I was one of eight Australian students at the school, and I think there were 150 Americans there, and before I went to China. Um, I wanted to be a pilot in the U.S. Air Force when I grew up. I, this was my idea of like, you know, what what would be really really cool would be to be in an air force that had proper fighter planes, you know, not like the pathetic <laughs> Australian Air Force. Yeah, I, I, um, I read the article and, by the way. I, I read that article about how they have to. What is it? They have to take a shit in the woods or something like that because they the sick stigma. Oh. Yeah, that's that's Dave Snowden's story. He's yeah. he's he's the world's leading complexity theorist, and uh, and I occasionally get to hang out with him, and I and I and I like sort of bask in his reflected glory. Um, but he's got a video up um, where he talks about how business management was used to destroy the capabilities of the of the Australian <laughs> Air Force. Um, so the, the the deal there is that there's a there's a methodology called Six Sigma, and if you and if you're aware of business methodologies, um, then uh, then it's uh, then it's a it's a big thing. Six Sigma black belts are these guys who go around and they you know big important guys solving big important problems. And the Australian Air Force sort of said, okay, so you're promising us better quality results for less money. That sounds pretty good. We'll have that, and they did this rollout of, of Six Sigma, and Six Sigma is it has a lot of forms, and basically, they created this situation where you know they were containing costs. Therefore, if there wasn't a procedure for getting something, then you couldn't have it, and it stopped people from using Air Force expenses to to buy themselves Walkmans and whatever else that they didn't really need to to do their duties, and it also stopped them from buying toilets. And so you've got um, you've got this Air Force 
there's a lot of nowhere in Australia, and we have um, and we have these dry air force bases that are basically just big strips of concrete out in the middle of the desert. And the idea is that if we get invaded um, for some stupid reason, um, then we need to actually have the planes being close to where the fighting will be, which is like a thousand kilometers away from where the cities will be. And so you can actually put a, an air force base in the, in, the, in the middle of Australia and not put a, a huge supply chain in place to supply it until there's actually some fighting going on. We save a lot of money that way. Um, so these people are out there maintaining the, the concrete pad in the middle of the desert. And there's no toilets. And there's no form to request the toilets. So they can't get them. And so they spend months shitting under the trees. And um, and it's not exactly, you know, Portaloo is something that does fit within an Air Force budget. You know, by the time you bought a plane, you could probably afford a Portaloo. Mm -hmm. um, and and the the leaders of the Air Force had no idea that they could set up a system that that, that was that stupid. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so they they spent a fair amount of time in denial about the damage that that this had done to their to their system. And um, and that's that's kind of that, I mean that's 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 what my business is about is about trying to work out how to get the communication between the front line and the executive to to actually happen because 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 the front line thinks in fundamentally different ways to the executive and it it took me a while to work this out and and if you want the incredibly boring story of how I sort of pieced it together over 10 years then I don't think it's boring I just think everyone else thinks it's boring because they keep telling me to shut up no, um, no, I, I, I'm actually curious <laughs> to hear about that. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm curious okay. to hear that because, because, and, and the reason I say that is because I think there's a lot of people who are right now stuck in the dynamic that you're talking about, where there is that disconnect between what what management yeah. and administration and owners and and you know the people who have power um, uh, want and do and how they think, and then there's people, the vast majority. Uh, of of working class people, I think right now are, uh, you know, extremely vulnerable. Don't don't really know what yeah. to do, but they know they have to do something. And and I think connecting mm. with the needs of of uh, uh, business owners and entrepreneurs and and you know people and the customer especially because if you can go direct to the, mm. to the customer and provide a service, uh, it, which it sounds like you've done that when you created your business, it sounds like you're going directly now to clients that are using that service. So yeah, tell us about that. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll take the risk of starting at the beginning. Um, and, and tell me, tell me if I get boring and, and, and move me on. Um, but I, I finished my computer programming degree in 1997, and that was kind of an interesting time to be in the software business because Y2K was happening. And if you could spell the word computer, you could get a job in an IT department <laughs> because it was huge and insane. Um, and the first gig that I had was doing a cardiology record system. I'm like, holy shit, if I screw this up, people are going to die. And I sort of I developed this, this quality focus. Um, and I... And I had done some programming starting in the early 80s um, and, and actually did software maintenance for, for a job in, in 92. And I had all of these problems because I had no idea how to organize my work. 
And so I went on this computer science and software engineering degree, and they said, okay, what you do is you write a requirements document, you write a design document, you use configuration management tools, you do all these things, and that solves all the problems. I'm like, oh my God, those are the problems that I had for years. It does solve those problems. This is awesome. And so my second was medical accounting software. And I started work the day that the only remaining member of the original development team resigned. Um, and so I had this very brief overlap. And then I was in charge of quarter of a million lines of buggy code on my own. Um, and the software didn't work properly. And that was impacting sales and it was impacting people's willingness to pay after they bought the product and, and things were things were very bad in that company. Um, but I'd had all this formal training in terms of how to fix all that stuff. And I set about applying my training. And I said, okay, I'm gonna write a design document, you're gonna approve the design document, and then I and, and then we're gonna know that we're getting it right. And uh, and the finance director said, No, you got three hours to fix this, otherwise the customer is going to, to, to kill us. Um, and so I kind of went back to my old bad habits of just cutting code, but it turned out that there were things that I'd learned from the process stuff that was kind of relevant. Um, and so, and so there was this movement that, that really kicked off at around about that time through the agile software movement where, um, a lot of people were saying, it's great to have rules and all that sort of stuff, but it's better to actually get the job done. And can we focus on getting the job done, please? And I thought, this is brilliant. I know, I know that rules fix some problems, but Agile is going to fix everything. Fast forward 10 years, and the Agile stuff isn't working. And Agile people are saying, you know, we don't do this formal method stuff because it's garbage. And and, I'm, and my response to that is, no, there are good things about all the formal methods that you can, you've thrown the baby out with the bathwater and you're criticizing things based on your lack of understanding and not what's actually the problem. Um, and I got and I got confused and upset and I was working, I was the first person at Global Speech Networks to have staff report to him who wasn't a founder of the company. And that was really interesting because that, that was a company that was determined to be different to, a, to the establishment. Um, and uh, and I spent a lot of time trying to work out what it is that managers do when you're not going by the usual corporate playbook. And so, you know, I, I, for every every night for a year, I went home and go, okay, what is my job? Um, and it was a really interesting question to to engage with. I thought, um, and through various accidents. Um, and uh, and I should thank Amit Aurora for for introducing me to uh, to Steve Clement and pa Patrick Hofstadter um, and and a number of other really smart world leading business consultants. Um, I Herb Elliott um, and Adam Thompson are very important names that I that I nearly forgot. Um, these guys. We, we embarked on a project of trying to work out how to have rules and flexibility at the same time. Um, and, and I believe that the answer is this sort of 
mashing together of, of various theories that I arrived at through through several years of work. Um, and now I'm convinced that if I go further with this, like, you know, there's criticizing an arcane theory that nobody understands in order to establish the reasons why you came up with your own arcane theory that is slightly more accessible and hopefully a bit more usable. Um, that's a rabbit hole that I, that um, like there's, I, I, I think I'm, I probably would be quite boring if I went down that rabbit hole, um, but it's five years of my life, so. <laughs> Yeah, but that it's that's it's interesting how it develops as it as it goes along, and I think you're I I think that question that you're asking yourself of okay, what is what is my job, what what is the problem that mm. I'm trying to solve, what is the, you know when when we're when we're really getting honest and we're getting, uh, um, you know, firm with ourselves about uh, about cutting out the things that are unimportant and and just focusing on the thing that we need to do. Uh, you know, I think that's how we that's how we make progress. And uh, so, what are some of the the lessons since embarking on that? What are, what are some of the lessons that maybe surprised you along the way uh, uh, that you might want to share with with the listeners uh, who are thinking about taking that similar leap? The thing, uh, probably the biggest surprise for me was turning into a pro hierarchy person. Um, I. When I was when I was in my twenties and, and and doing this work, you know, in terms of, you know, everyone in the agile community is really keen on dismantling the hierarchy and, and mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. And as a person, when I was at the bottom of the hierarchy, I was really keen on on dismantling this thing that I I perceived to be in my way. Um, then I had kids, um, and I learned put the knife down is actually a really important thing to, to be able to say very firmly to a two-year-old um, <laughs> and to have them obey. And they and they don't necessarily understand why they have to put the knife down, but they do start, start looking at their hand in the red stuff and getting a bit distressed. Um, and, and you help, you know, and, and, and so being a parent is this sort of extreme hierarchical situation where, where you've got someone who, whose life depends on your ability to get them to understand there are some things that you just don't do and you might not understand that knives are sharp um but but i but i but i want you to learn it in the least painful way possible you know? and there's all sorts of management of that 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 becomes a factor and then um and i've had a, I, I had a, i had a weird career right so so this job that i got in 98 where i was the only programmer in the company I, um, I I went to the general manager and I sort of bullied him into giving me the title research and development manager because you know because you know no one else was doing any um, and uh, and then we hired another programmer and I was his boss right and I was a terrible boss I was just dreadful um, but at the next job that I went to I was a much better subordinate because I understood the the pressures that the boss was trying to deal with and and so I, I so I did all right at that. And then, and then I got to the situation at GSN. As GSN grew, I started to manage other supervisors and managers, um, and that was awesome. Um, and then when I went back from that to uh, to a job at the front lines um, in in a sales team at a multinational, my ability to interact with managers was much better because I knew what they were dealing with and, and the whole multi layered thing. And so. 
And so there are things when you're working at the front line that the boss is doing that you can't imagine. And and there's an irony here because I, you know, I worked out this cognitive layering theory and I worked out there was this thing that was layer five, which was the job of the CEO. And I knew that I hadn't done it before. And I knew that if someone with no prior experience in a job couldn't do it reliably unless uh, they were supervised. And I started my own business and I didn't have anyone who was experienced at layer five supervising me. And I did fail, which is good news for the theory. Um, but but really quite embarrassing for me in terms of reinforcing the the, the lesson, um, because I didn't understand what the job of a CEO actually is. People think that the job of a CEO is to manage the business and to and to and to work on the business, and and and, and th these are the things that people talk about, but. But that's not, and, and CEOs spend a lot of time doing that, but that's not the difficult part of the CEO's job. The CEO's, the difficult part of a CEO's job is there's an infinite number of things that you could be doing, and there's 24 hours in a day. And if you're a smart CEO, you're going to give some of those 24 hours to sleeping and exercising and eating um, and, and, and other kind of self care things. And, and so you have to, you have to, develop a concept of what you're going to look at because there's just too much you know there's this is a really impressive piece of hardware and it is a really really good at detecting things and recognizing things and putting them into practice and imagining things but but i can't imagine half of like that the world is so complex now and right? A thousand years ago, farmers' lives probably were pretty much the same everywhere. Now, you know, in the 90s, we had this thing called a web designer that was basically programmers who weren't smart enough to actually program, so they just put pictures on the screen. That's what I thought of them at the time, right? Um, and, and now, there's not web designers anymore. Now there's bloody SEO optimization people as opposed to graphic and layout people, as opposed to the people building the back end, as opposed to the people building middleware. They're like, how many specializations are we, there's, there's probably a new technical specialization being created every day. Um, and so we have this, it's a beautiful kaleidoscope or a completely disorienting maze of static, depending on how you've tuned yourself to, to look at it. And so, you know, am I, am I going to be a bank or a strip club or a bicycle repair shop? Those are the kinds of questions that CEOs have to find a way of not answering because there's too many questions like that. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the hard part of being a CEO. And it's not until, uh, and it's not until I knew that I had everything else in place in terms of the business I wanted to run. I did a fantastic. I, I recruited well. I had twelve people working for me for free. I had, um, I had prototypes that were coming out. I had people telling me this. You know, I, I, I was told, you know, the 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 stuff that you're doing now is going to set the future direction of our industry. I was told that by an industry chairperson of the relevant. Organization, right? I had all of that going, 
but I hadn't worked out how to identify what was relevant and what was not relevant. And I started too many projects and I didn't focus and I started projects that I didn't really understand that turned out that it, it wasn't going to take six months to do this project. It was going to take five years. Um, and I had to fire all of my people who were working for me for free because I couldn't ethically pretend that I was going to ever pay them. Um, and that was heartbreaking. Um, uh, and I want to minimize the chance that that's going to happen to someone else if I can. Well, you, you know, I think it, although it was painful and although it was the kind of thing that, you know, maybe one wouldn't choose to experience if they had if they had the option um I, i've i've been listening to a lot of ceos and a lot of uh business leaders over the past year i've been listening to just tons of podcasts and and um you know even some courses and and reading books and stuff like that and and i and i know that there are high level consultants that won't even work with ceos until they've failed a few times so if in, in, until you run mm. something into the ground they don't even want to talk to you yet because you, at that point you still think you know what you're doing right and and that's mm. the that's the challenge is that is that until and they call uh, and i can't remember the, who the name was but he called it cycling uh where you're not it's not a failure it's part of mm. the cycle and you have to experience those 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 periods where things did not go the way that you wanted them to and uh uh you know everything falls apart in order for you to 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 realize that you have to be willing to risk it and you have to be willing to to make sacrifices and and to narrow down what it is that you're trying to do and uh, uh you know and, and until you've until you failed a bit you, you you just don't have the the maturity to to be able to, for him to want to work with you, you know that's that's pretty much the what that consultant was saying, and and, I, and it, that made a lot of sense to me. And I and I I almost I when I heard that it kind of made me almost excited to get my first few failures out of the way, if you, you know, to kind of look at yeah, it that way. No, and and that is that is a really smart attitude to have. Um, and I think the the trick, if you can if you can organize it properly, is to have your failures. Have as many failures as you can while your parents are still cooking meals for you. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I blew past getting, that getting the mortgage family. and then having the business failure um, yeah. added something to the experience that um, you know. I, I, I what I'd like is to is is an opportunity to to to, to just load from the save and, and and then like act as if I'd, I'd known this stuff all the time. Yeah, I did that. I did that too many times. I've loaded from way too many saves because, like, I've been playing video games for twenty years at this point, and and just so while you're out there building businesses, I have been building cities and you know some city and all that. Oh, but. dude. Oh <laughs> uh, no, I, I I do a lot of that, and um, yeah. like you know, uh, uh, and 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 I, like XCOM, you know, one of my soldiers dies. I'm like, right, load. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I um, yeah. I, 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 you know, obviously just incredible. Like, I want to play this really tough, demanding game that gets your soldiers killed all the time. And also, when I'm damn sure that none of my soldiers ever die. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm exactly the, the, the amount same of saves way. coming that I do. Yeah. 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 I, I've, 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 I I've restarted Phoenix Point four times now. Yeah. Yep. 
happens. Yep, I, I've I've done that with every game that I play. You know, if I if I lose one of my one of my cities in in uh, you know civilization or something like that, you know, I get right, surprised, yeah. invaded, and uh, and I would just. But but at some point, um, <coughs> I actually just gave up computer gaming because for me, it became it became way too much of a of a problem and i and i was just way too obsessed with it so then now i went into facebook and i'm way too obsessed with that but i figure <laughs> <laughs> but if i figure if i if i get That's way good. too obsessed with medium then at least i'll be making some pennies here so <laughs> there, yeah. there is a light at the end of that uh, tunnel yeah and and building a, a profile and a, and a position um yeah i think that it that's um i think that's that's a really good thing um uh, since I've plugged a bunch of other people, I'll, I'll put in a quick plug for Glenn Carlson. I've signed up for the Dent International Accelerator, and Glenn, I, I, I went to I went to his free webinar, right? Because everyone's got a free webinar. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was talking about pitching, and he talked about his pitching methodology. And I said, okay, I've I think I understand your pitching methodology. Here is my pitch, and he says, well, you've successfully applied the methodology, and it's very beige. Um, it needs to not be the most boring thing in the world, Nick. Um, <laughs> and and so and so that sort of that helped establish some credibility. And a week ago, after having paid him reasonable amount of money um, for a product that I'm actually very satisfied with, I, I took my pitch to him a week ago. I said, Nick, you can't try. You, you're trying way too hard to be exciting. Dial it back, man. Um, and. Uh, and I think that he does actually have a sense of where you need to be. And so I made, you know, mistakes at both extremes now, and hopefully I'm going to find something in between. Um, and certainly, you know, um, if you look at my productivity on Medium, there's a point where I worked out which business I was in. And, and armed with that, all of a sudden, I've got a point of view. Um, and I'm expressing that point of view, uh, and I'm making a dollar twenty a month more than I was before. You know, yeah, <laughs> and I'm not expecting you know for you medium. Yeah, the, it the is, validation it is. is just it's so like, much. Yeah, yeah, it's like somebody thinks that this is worth more than zero, <laughs> right. um, and that's huge. Um, you know, I don't have, you know, I, I know that you have a, a, a target for your earnings on, on Medium that would actually, like, make it, like, you know, a, a business. Yeah. Um, I don't, because um, for me, it's, you know, in terms of its relationship to my business, it's it's subtle marketing, right? I, I want the world to believe that I have an opinion that is worth hearing and that I could do things to help them and their business. And, um, and so I'm out there putting out the helpful stuff that you can put in writing because people who understand the whole, who had like, a lot of people have an intuitive grasp of the cognitive layering stuff. And one of the things that Dave Snowden talks about um, is that you can do more than you can say, and you can say more than you can write. So the stuff that I write, you can have almost for free um, because is this because like get me in a room talking to you and, and and we'll get more than that done um and 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 the stuff that i can do is is more than the stuff that i can explain yeah i i feel the same way where it's like the fact that it is worth more than zero to somebody is just icing on the cake because just to be just to be mm -hmm. read is is its own reward in a sense 
And uh, although I do have a target uh, uh, monetarily with with Medium, my I should say that my main goal is my own cognitive development because the you know all the people mm. that are that are interesting and all the people that are the kind of mentors and and role models that I look to are all avid readers, right? They read a lot more than they than they write. They mm -hmm. read a lot more than they talk. They, they, they are readers, every, everyone that, that I pay attention to. And, uh, so th that's, that's who I want to be. And so what better place to do that than medium where you have access to some of the best experts in the world, just handing mm -hmm. you their knowledge, just like what you were talking about. It's like, you, you're not even afraid to give it away because you, what you're, what you're doing and, in written form is less than what you could be doing at the other higher levels. And so, uh, uh, you know, oh. you're happy just for the, just for the notoriety and the credibility from that. So, uh, for me as a, yeah. as a reader, I mean, it's, it's so much. Yeah. Yeah. And if, and if someone can read something and then do it themselves, then great. Um, mm -hmm. you know, cause, cause I think one of the things that we both want to achieve is to make the world a better place. And so, you know, to the extent that you can afford to give things away for free, then, um, then that's, then that's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's a, I, I see it as a really, really, um, rapidly expanding level of prosperity and abundance that is on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's, and it's because the value of, um, finite goods and and finite services is getting although it still is greater than the the infinite infinitely copyable kinds of things uh you know like like any sort mm. of book or any sort of video is now infinitely copyable you know we can we can put that and it doesn't cost me anything to 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 create another copy for somebody else to to be able to read it you know and and so mm. the, those kind of infinitely cascading products and services uh and, and automation is one of those examples of of a uh of a service that becomes infinite because then you no longer have to mm -hmm. you know if you need customer service you no longer have to have somebody on the phone that's taking their time helping you you can have a bot that knows what the problems are it's got a it's got the whole um uh flowchart of of possibilities that it could guide you through and it would do it more more patiently than a human you know so, so I think we, I think we really yeah. are, are in the next couple of years headed for such a prosperous future. If we embrace that, the, the challenge is that a lot of people mm. are, are stuck in this redundant, um, you, you know, competing against the machines kind of a position. And that's, unfortunately, that's what I'm still training mm. people for even now. Like I, I have students, uh, that I, that I work with, uh, at, at the college, I, I, I work at Palm Beach state college. It's a, uh, a four-year institution in Florida, and I love the school. You know, it's a fantastic school, but just the entire apparatus of higher education is still, you know, it's still training people towards the kind of things that can be done on a calculator instantaneously. So, you know, we work them through a system for four years and there's really no pot of gold at the end of that rainbow because the skills that they've acquired are all skills that that the computers possess you know now it could be it could be cognitively beneficial in the sense that they develop how they think and and you know there's there's the 
the challenge of learning how to solve problems that you do get. But, um, you know, I, I really do worry that we're we're training people more to compete against machines than we are to work with them. What are your what are your thoughts on that? You've 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 mentioned two of my favorite topics there. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I want to go to the first part before I go to the the question, because um, there is this there is this democratization of our world that is kind of happening right now. Um, mm -hmm. Knowledge has always been power. Um, if you look at the Roman Empire, a lot of it was built on roads. Right, all roads lead to Rome. There's a like they had this infrastructure yeah. and communications network. And Rome was the center of that. And that's why they were huge um, and, you know, one of the most stable regimes ever. Um, and, you know, access to information is so much easier. You know, I, I remember, you know, uh, you know, I went to the International School of Beijing and it had a computer lab in 1983. And that in itself was like huge. Um, and 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 you had. If you wanted to know something, you had to go to the library and get the help of a librarian so that you could you know, understand the Dewey Decimal System, so that you could look up the thing, so that you could then go to the shelf and find that someone else had already borrowed the book. Um, <laughs> I remember those days, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now, you know, um, I was I was I was trying to distract myself from the fact that I had an interview coming up. So I'm scrolling through Facebook and someone said, is there an example of a privacy policy I can use for my business? So I typed in example privacy policy. I pressed enter. I looked at the fourth entry on the list was from, from the government saying, here's a privacy policy that we reckon businesses should think about using. And I said, here you go. Um, and they said, oh yeah, I found it myself yesterday. It was the reply. No one else had replied to that. You know, they, they obviously had confidence that people could work things out for themselves. I'm a bit of a micromanaging control freak. But but the opportunity to, to have the information that you need to get a, a high quality decision exists in a way that it never did before. Yeah. And and the problem that we're now having, like because in, in the 1980s, you know, my dad, who was a senior diplomat, you know, and I shared this belief that if you could just get everybody talking to each other, then we'd be able to get along and then we wouldn't be frightened of nuclear war anymore and all of that sort of stuff. Come forward 40 years, <laughs> everybody's talking to each other. The problem is not solved. Um, <laughs> we, we, we now know that geography is not the only barrier yeah i'm on the webcast with jesse at the moment i'll talk to you later yes i'm i i was animated for a moment um uh yeah so 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 that's the kind of the world situation but then there's this thing that's happening in workplaces that i that that is very close to both of our hearts um which is the the replacement of humans with machines um, and and there's a dehumanization of people thing that's bad and there's an unemployment thing that's bad and there's a lack of opportunity to you know uh, yeah those, those are probably the high level things that are bad um i'll delve into history since you know anyone who isn't interested in history is already tuned out um, yeah. Uh, 
let's 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 go back to the Romans again for a moment, um, and think about how they had this. You know, they 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 had an army that conquered a very large portion of the known world. Um, and what they did was they turned people into machines. Right? They 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 arranged them in rows. They had a standard layout for a camp. It was the same every time. You knew now any any Roman soldier could walk into any Roman camp anywhere in the world, and he knew where the spare equipment would be found, where the latrines would be found, and where the sleeping quarters were, um, and he could do a repair on the wall if necessary because they were all done in the same way, and, the, and, and, and it was very, very rigorous. Um, and our ability to turn people into machines is a lot of where our material prosperity has come from. And then you get... Um, then you get the Industrial Revolution and you get people turning bits of metal into machines. People turning bits of metal into very powerful machines. You know, um, it's not human-powered anymore. It's not ox-powered anymore. It's steam-powered now. Mm -hmm. And steam doesn't have feelings. Um, and, and clockwork doesn't have feelings. And, um, you know, we talk about something working really well. Um, we talk about something working really well, and we and we might talk about how it works like clockwork, and everything fits together beautifully. Um, and and it's killing us. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it, it, I know that we both have an interest in in law and justice, um, and. And one of the things that's very apparent um, in the world right now is that the law doesn't necessarily give people a satisfying sense that justice has been served. Yeah. Um, and you, know, you look at um, you look at tragic tragic events in the, in, in the USA. Um, it's I. I, I, you know, I've, I, I have, a, I have a complex American relationship with, with, with America and with Americans um, being the sort of small ally nation um, that, that depends on America in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, your nuclear deterrent protects Australia in ways that are very important, and, and we have to be able to get along with you, and we have to be able to get along with China, and we don't want to piss off the Russians too much, but we do have American bases on Australian soil. Um, and um, so it's 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 complicated, um, but but my experience of, of of Americans as people is that they turn out to be lovable human beings in like the ninety nine percent case, you know. Um, and, and God, I wish I knew how to make things better in like some really substantive way. You know? um, hopefully, what we can do is like, you know. If everybody makes a small improvement, then the small yeah. improvements will add up. And yeah. if we can help people to make small improvements, then that's you know that's that's a good exponential curve, because um, mm -hmm. God, everybody knows what an exponential curve is now. Um, but okay, so so the interesting thing is that human beings are murdering each other less than at any previous time in, in history. Stephen Pinker has, has done some good research there in terms of like the homicide rate just goes yeah. bang and halves all the time. Um, and 
a lot of how we've done that is by making it easier for people to not killing each other by having laws instead of justice. Um, and if you read Jared Diamond's book, um, I'm, I'm really hoping that, that some really smart people will read The World Until Yesterday by Jared Diamond and tell me that I'm wrong about it. Um, because so far, people are either not... Oh, trying it down. I love you. Um, <laughs> so The World Until Yesterday by Jared Diamond. Um, I think I know what it says, but I never feel confident that I know something until someone really smart has told me that I'm wrong. Um, because I will either come up with a really good argument against what they're saying and like, no, because you didn't pay attention to the thing, or they'll do that to me. Um, and one way or another, my my knowledge is now battle tested. Um, oh, you have people in your home too. Hi. I do. I do. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, and um, yeah, so battle tested knowledge to me is, is much more valuable than certainty. Um, yeah. And if I know more about it, but but he opens the book with this amazing case study from Papua New Guinea, um, where this guy has a, a road traffic accident with a kid. So the kid gets dropped off by the school bus, walks across the road, doesn't look, he hits the kid with his delivery truck. Um, he then does what the police say that you should do in PNG, which is drive straight, he, he, he leaves the scene immediately, drives straight to the police station and hands himself in so that he won't be lynched. Right. Um, meanwhile, the family at the, at, the, at the scene of the accident is, is being upset and all the rest of it. And they have, and there's this reconciliation, this restorative justice process um, that occurs there. He, he um, where the family of the dead kid and the um, and and the and the truck company sort of get together and they and they and they work out a way to to pay reparations for for, for the death of the child, um, and and everybody feels much better after that. Um, meanwhile, the legal process sort of lurches onward in its in its stumbling way and takes the guy's driver's license away even though it seems unlikely that he was actually at fault um, mm. when this kid ran across the road in front of his truck. And so it's this really interesting examination of the blindness of modern justice and, and the things that tribal societies have that contemporary, you know, weird cultures, um, Western English-speaking industrial rich democracies um, have that you know, you know, we've we've lost something valuable in terms of our ability to connect with with each other emotionally and to and to rebuild those bridges. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, we're also killing each other a lot less. Right? He drives to the police station so that he won't get lynched. Mm -hmm. There's, it's, it's very easy and very tempting to be to be nostalgic when you look at, at, at tribal culture. And the reality is that our horrible, dehumanizing, awful, hierarchical society does actually deliver food a lot more reliably, does actually deliver healthcare a lot more reliably, and is much likely, much less likely to get you murdered. And those factors, you know, so, so there are no simple solutions here. Mm -hmm. um, but 
but there was a conversation that we almost were having um, about dehumanization in the workplace. Um, so I'll, I'll try to return to that. And and so uh, and and it, and it and it and it links in ironically to the history that I wasn't going to go into before. So Elliot Jacques was a psychoanalyst who was hired by a, a, a British factory owner to improve productivity in the factory, right? It's the kind of thing that people did in the 60s, right? Is, um, is, to, is to go off on, on experiments in terms of human nature and whatever else. And so he looked at people working in the factory and he familiarized himself with the relevant research and that sort of stuff. And he applied a psychoanalytical lens to working in a factory. And there were people in the factory who were happy and productive, and there were people in the factory who were unhappy and not productive. And what most people, um, that's a very good point from, from Isaac Miller, we should return to that. Um, uh, the, um, the, oh, and hi, Isaac. Um, I'm glad you're not bored to death. Um, uh, so yeah, so 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 the message that a lot of people would take from that is okay, make your employees happy and they'll work better. Jacques did better than that. He said, "Where does happiness come from in the workplace?" And he took the view that I agree with that satisfaction from your work, meaningful work, comes from the opportunity to apply judgment. So it links back to Dave Snowden. You can do more than you can say, you can say more than you can write. If my work gives me the opportunity to do things that I can't explain, then I'm tapping into something that you could call spiritual. Um, Elliot Jacques called it judgment. Um, you, might, you might want to call it the unconscious, but you have this opportunity to, to be who you are in the workplace, and to, and for the for the and for the, for the workplace to be an expression of beingness. If you look at Christopher Alexander in the Timeless Way of Building and, and his later works on the Nature of Order, he's he like, he's 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 a bit like me. Um, there's the, there's this chapter where he's got fifteen characteristics of a good piece of architecture: um, openness, balance. Um, yeah, not symmetry, but balance. And he talks about all these things and amazing detail and all the rest of it. And the next chapter of the book says, however, the previous chapter of this book is irrelevant because there's actually only one question. Does this represent who I am? To the extent that you can look at a piece of work that you've done and say, that piece of work represents me, it's good work. And to the extent that you can't do that, then it's bad work. And he has this example of a, of a tomato sauce bottle and a salt shaker. And I won't tell you which one, but he basically says, if you prefer one of these things over the other, then you are pathologically deranged and there's something fundamentally wrong with your values and you are not a human being. Uh, <laughs> and it's a pretty <laughs> confronting thing to say, but he cares a lot about design, right? Um, and and he's got this case study of like like he was in a, he was presenting in a workshop, and he said, you know, you know, if you like this thing and you don't like that thing, then you're not a human. And there was this one guy who said like, 
I've answered not human to the last five things that you said, and I'm feeling <laughs> I'm kind of offended, and I think you're wrong. Um, and, um, and, and, and he was like, well, sleep on it and get back to me tomorrow. Right? The guy comes to the workshop <laughs> the next day tomorrow and says, um, yeah, and he comes back to the workshop the next day and he says, I thought about it, and actually there is something fundamentally pathological about the way that I'm living my life and I'm going to live <laughs> it differently from now on. Um, and, and, and once you've got a case study like that, you get very hard to convince. Um, it's, like, it's like me with internet trolls, right? In 2004, January 2004, there was a guy who was actively trolling people and, and deliberately hurting their feelings and all of the rest of it. And I engaged with him and 30 other trolls over the course of a rather intense weekend. Um, and at the end of it, the ringleader apologized. And um, it was an amazing experience. And I've been trying to reproduce it with varying levels of success ever since. <laughs> but once you've had this 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 special experience, um, you know, um, and so you, you know, when you see me in, in in internet discussion groups telling people to be nice to each other and stuff, um, it's not actually the technique that I used successfully in two thousand and four, um, uh, because because I, I decided to try to set the goals higher. I, I, I want other people to, to be able to, to do what I did in 2004. And that turns out to be much more difficult than just getting it right yourself. Yeah, I, I would imagine. What, what is the secret sauce? What, what, what's, the, what's the technique that you use there? Um, so what I did in 2004 um, is I was, I was a member of a group that was very easy to make fun of. Um, people are still making fun of this particular subculture, but but it's less intense than it was, um, and um, and we were being you know, we were being told that we were delusional and and, and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and I went to Troll Central, and I said, I am a member of this subculture, and I believe all of the things that you say are complete garbage. Does anyone have any questions? Mm. <laughs> and, um, nice. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, and one of the questions that I was asked was, "Have you considered the possibility that you're insane?" Because um, because it's a fringe belief that I have, um, and I and I responded uh, with, "Yes, I have," and I've discussed it with my psychiatrist, and he says that uh, actually the reason I'm depressed has got a lot more to do with my wife walking out than it has to do with my weird spiritual beliefs, um, and. Um, and that sort of thing, right, because, because when we feel attacked, we have a strong tendency to either counterattack or to, or to resist everything, right? You're attacking me. All I am going to see is the fact that you are attacking me. I'm not going to do anything further. And these guys were attacking me, right? There's no, I know trolls. I've been a troll. I, I, I know I know, like, innocent questions are the best trolling technique. And I was they gave me a lot of innocent questions. And some of them were also, like, just pictures of shit that was disgusting and, and, and literally of shit. Um, because, the, because if you can, you know, the, the, the fundamental trolling technique is to get you to lose your emotional balance. Mm. Once you have lost your composure, then your credibility drops like a stone. 
And so the fundamental anti-trend trolling technique is to maintain your composure. Um, not replying, if you can bring yourself to not reply, is better than a bad-tempered response. Mm -hmm. Better than not replying, if you have the time and energy. I, I, I pushed this line too hard with, with a number of people because there are people who don't have the time and energy to deal with the volume of trolls that they experience. But if you have the time and energy, then, then acknowledge, you know, have you considered that you're crazy? You know what? It's a weird belief. It's fair enough to ask the question. Here is the answer. Um, you know, uh, I think you're stupid. Okay. Uh, I accept that you think I'm stupid. However, when I, <laughs> to take a recent example, you know, when you say that um, Sweden has twice the, um, the population density of all of the neighboring countries and therefore the other countries are irrelevant, the fact that Sweden has a population density of 25 people per square kilometer and Denmark has 137 per square kilometer seems to contradict what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> could you explain that to me, given as how I'm so stupid? Um, you know, you you don't want to be you don't want to be quite as smarmy and annoying about it as as I just was, and and I was quite smarmy and annoying when I was disagreeing with that particular person. But there was no real prospect that the two of us were going to agree. What you can do, right? The, and, and, and the other thing is, when someone is trolling you, your objective is not necessarily to get the troll to apologize. Like mm -hmm. when the troll apologized to me, I wasn't trying to get him to apologize. I was trying to get him to look stupid and unreasonable in front of the audience. And as his friends started saying, you know what? This guy is fine. Um, he made a decision that he was going to rescue his relationship with his friends by starting to look reasonable. Mm -hmm. um, there's no polite way to suggest to someone that they've devoted their life to a folly. Daniel Dennett, yeah, that's good. There's a similar saying um, in, in traditional Chinese medicine, um, the emperor is never wrong. Mm. Um, and so if you're, if you're trying to get someone to change course, then you never tell them that they're wrong. They might not have all the information that they need. They might benefit from another perspective. Um, yes, writing angry letters that you don't send. Um, one of the reasons why I am a little bit nervous about appearing in this format and why I like doing things in writing is I like I do like there are there are sometimes posts that I make to the resurgent us group are like the fifth draft. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do that too. Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I'll write I'll write the you know I'll write the seven paragraphs of what the hell, man, um, <laughs> and then I'll write. And then I'll write the five paragraphs of you're an idiot and this is why. Um, and, and often that's what I actually send. But, but, um, but if I'm really on top of my game, that gets replaced by the three paragraphs of, I don't feel that truly understood here and maybe you can explain where you're coming from a bit better. Um, and, and I'm really pleased actually, like um, there's one or two posts that I've written in the last week or two where I'm like, okay, but I feel like this for these reasons. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and the more you know, I'm 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 a little bit more centered lately, and I'm a little bit clearer on who I am and where I'm going and that sort of stuff. And so I was having a a conversation with a with a conservative American about um, about where the riots are coming from. Um, and and I said a thing, and he wasn't thrilled about that. Um, and I said, and, and he responded to me with a whole pile of facts. Mm -hmm. And I said, and I said, and, I, and, and my first thing was to like, you know, confront the facts and all of that sort of stuff. But then I realized that, um, that we weren't actually talking about the thing that I was saying. And I said, well, it's fair enough that you think that. But what I was actually saying was this very small, very limited thing. Um, I said, oh, well, I agree with the very small, very limited thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so lowering your objectives can be really, really useful um, in, yeah. these, in these kinds of situations. You know, um, you know uh, I mean, this, you know, notionally, you know, we're, 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 we're theoretically talking about the article I wrote about the screwdriver and the drill. Um, and that was a situation where you know we had a really unhappy customer, and I spent I spent a lot of time and energy just convincing that client that I was on her side. Um, you know, and she was she's a woman who had risen to an amount of power in her organisation, and she had staked her credibility within that organisation on the success of our project. And so when we failed to deliver. That was a threat to her in, in so many ways. Um, and, and women do it, it the in the technology business, which is the business that, that we were both in, um, the it is it is you don't it like it, it is so bad for, for women so much of the time. Um, and, and so part of what was going on for her, I think would have been a suspicion that something sexist was going on because it often is right. Maybe half the problems that women encounter in the, in the technology workplace are, are from sexism. Um, and although this particular problem wasn't, the reality was that we were failing to listen to her and we were not treating her with respect in terms of uh in terms of uh in terms of her meaning what she was saying um and so that's that's why communicating that the message that that she had actually sent a message and that it was our failure for not listening and that we would had worked out how to listen um that was the that was the key to unlocking that particular problem um and that you know, and it, and it wasn't just getting that little bit of that conversation right. It was also the three months leading up to that that I had spent just being on her side, um, and 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 working to to get the right outcomes. And so she, you know, she knew that I was on her side. She also knew that I was failing to deliver. Um, but when I was able to show that I knew why we were failing to deliver, and that by fixing that we could actually fix the problem. Um, that was the that was the right layer for that communication, and that's the thing that machines can't do. Right? Um, machines 
machines follow scripts, they follow processes, they do what they were built to do, they do what they were programmed to do. They can repeat things so well. Um, you, know, the, um, you know, 40 years ago, the um, a, a computer was the world's most, of, most efficient idiot, most productive idiot. Um, today, um, it's it's more like uh, you know it's it's more like Sheldon, right? He, he, yeah. Very 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 productive, very very smart, but not very social. Um, and and we have this world where people have different points of view, right? I mean, you know, growing up, I grew up in a family, um, and the and and the. And, and, and my father's job, as I understood it as an eight-year-old, was to prevent a nuclear war by getting the Chinese government to buy products from Australia. You know, if they're buying things from Australia, then they won't invade and they won't nuke us. And I am actually, to this day, really proud of the fact that my dad got the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party hooked on Australian-made chocolate. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I think these things do actually make a difference. Um, but... Other people believe that that the that the, the best good comes from something else. Yeah, um, you know, there's, uh, you and I have conversations with policemen who believe that catching bad guys and stopping them is good, and I can acknowledge the truth of that, but I don't feel it. You know, I would. I would rather have a conversation with with, with 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 the bad guy and get him to to see the error of his ways. But I'm not naive enough to think that's going to work with all the bad guys. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and there's doctors, you know, who who and some doctors try to fight disease and other doctors try to support patients. They all become doctors, but they've all got these different angles because they've had different difficult experiences and positive experiences growing up and they have this uniqueness to them. Um, hooray for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and like you and I, you know, we both, we both believe in, in, in bridge building and what I want to be is like underneath the bridge with a welder and, and some bolts yeah. and all the rest of that sort of stuff. And, uh, well, actually, no, I've, I've done enough of that, that I, that what I actually want to be doing is like bossing around a bunch of other people because I do bossing people around. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. um, and I've learned to not be an asshole about it, right? I'm not the terrible boss that I was 25 years ago. I'm a different terrible boss now. <laughs> okay. Um, because <laughs> yeah. um, uh, because none of us can can get it perfectly right, um, you know, and and one of the real dangers is to is to believe that you have to be perfect and to punish yourself so hard for not being perfect. That you go, you know what? I'm just not going to pay attention to the evidence of my imperfection anymore. I can't, yeah. I can't stand not being perfect. Um, and the and the worst things that have happened in my life uh, have, have been on occasions where the stakes were so high for the person who really wanted to help me that, um, that, you know, the, 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 the doctor who insisted to me that the medication would work is one of those, one example that, that, uh, that I'll mention briefly and, and steer away from as quickly as I can. Um, but right. There's a difference between humans and machines. Yeah. Because 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 we have grammar and the things that come with it um 
human beings are the only species that has grammar. Um, there's a there's a brilliant um, there's a brilliant documentary called Project Nim, which is the story of Nim Chimpsky. Um, he's a he's a chimp who was who was raised in order to test the theory that humans are the so so, so Noam Chomsky is the human who has a theory that only humans have grammar. And Nim Chimpsky is the chimp that was used to try and test this theory. And so he learned sign language and he learned a bunch of stuff. And the story of his relationships with the humans of, in his life is, the, is what the documentary is. And it's, it tells you so much about humanity and so little about chimps. It's, it's fantastic. Um, but one of the things that we do know about chimps is that they don't have an ability to acquire grammar, which means that although they use words, they don't arrange those words in a sequence in such a way that the sequence of words is different. Mm. Um, you know, um, and, and the other thing that humans do is they gossip. So chimps will lie, but they don't gossip. So, so if, if Nim was to take some bananas and put them in a hiding place and then tell Steve, I put the bananas somewhere else, um, and then Steve goes and looks in the wrong place for, for the bananas. That happens. Mm -hmm. What doesn't happen is Carol then talking to Betty and say, did you see the way that Nim lied to Steve? Mm -hmm. Whereas humans are hooked on gossip, right? We, we need to know and we need to tell people and we need to feel heard, right? That's how, how this conversation started, right? It's like, right. Like, Someone gave me two cents. I am right. validated as a human being. And it's, 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 it's really powerful and and deep this stuff yeah because because it's actually a really good way of protecting the species right yeah um if 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 the tribe knows that nim is a is a liar then we can adjust our behavior around him if i've had this really exciting experience rubbing some sticks together where they really got really hot and it did something to my fingers then I will need to tell people about that and I will need to show them, look what happens when I rub the sticks together. Isn't this weird? And, and, that's, and that's, that's the beginning of, of, of everything that we celebrate about being human is gossip, right? Our need to share what we know. That's what we're doing right now. And I'm loving it. And, and you're smiling and I'm gonna, I choose to believe that you're loving it too. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... And so what we as humans have this capacity to do is not just to have our own thoughts. And, and Elliot Jacques did some research on this, right? So, so work, has, work has meaning when you get to exercise judgment. And he looked at the behavior of amoebas. And amoebas have very simple behavior. They go towards the things that they like and they go away from the things that they don't like. Mm -hmm. And so that is the simplest kind of thinking about a thing that you can do. And then you can look at, say, birds that will pick up something, fly up really high, drop it, it breaks, and then they eat it. Mm. Right? That's that's more sophisticated than the amoeba. What you're doing there is you is that you know something about dropping things and you have a plan, right? So planning is layered too. Yeah. 
and then you can like you can arrange things in this in, in, in structured ways and you can and you could be like an ant colony say where it's like okay my job is to guard the eggs your job is to go out and get food her job is to lay eggs all day and between us all we will have a functioning ant colony because each of us knows our job and we all do our job then you have wolves and wolves are cooler than that so um so if you if you analyze footage of wolves chasing after and attacking a deer really carefully then they have these conversations with each other and so one of them will go i will go after his throat if you go after his leg at the same time to distract him to give me the shot what do you reckon and the other wolf will go nah i think we should do it this way and they'll and, the, and, the, and they'll work out exactly how they're going to attack and then they attack mm. and it's really and and, and, they, and, they, and these negotiations happen really quickly, right? And so, and so there's a thing that wolves are doing, which is knowing that I want something and you want something, and the things that we want are not necessarily the same, not exactly the same, but we can discuss these things with each other in order to work out how we're going to become a system, and then the system will execute a plan, and then it's going to happen. And that's the layer four work is the negotiation work it's the it's the work that i love i you know son of a diplomat constantly trying to outperform my father right he saved australia's relationship with china i'm going to save the world we'll see <laughs> setting the bar goes. a little higher each time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because because i mean you know i'm not entirely over the whole adolescent my dad is an idiot and i have to do better <laughs> thing right um i'm just not um <laughs> Um, who, that who said, it, right? I'm starting to understand how much he actually achieved, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and ideally I would be more grateful than I am for being trained from birth by someone who is actually you know, pretty good at some, some difficult stuff. Um, anyway, um, so there's, there's that layer four stuff, right? And then, and then. Elliot Jacques' theory kind of falls off a cliff at this point. And he goes, and we know that humans are smarter than chimps. And so I'm going to have a layer five and a layer six and a seven and eight and a nine and 10 and 11 and 12, because I don't know how else to explain Galileo because he was really damn smart. Right. Um, and, and I looked at his theory and I looked at some notes that he had about how he thought that maybe his theory was wrong and maybe it had something to do with a vertical virtual mutation. Um, and that if he, with a bit of luck, someone with a computer science background would look at this, understand it and be able to fix the theory. And I was like, you bastard, I've been trying to prove you wrong because I knew that there was something wrong here. And now you've explained what's wrong with your theory. And with my computer science background, I know what it is. And so we invent words. That's how we get to this point where we have this runaway, you know, it's um, it's 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 like how many coronavirus cases you have in a country, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you have five cases and they interact with a few people, then the next day you'll have six cases. And the day after that, you'll have seven. Um, but if you have 100 cases, like we did in Victoria quite recently, in, in, in my particular part of Victoria, you know, we went from having 
we went from having five cases to doing a whole bunch of testing just to be safe and discovering that there were 100 infected people who um, we just didn't expect, you know, had no known contact with anyone who was sick and we were like, holy shit, what is going on here? Um, and then and then basically just tested everybody. Like there are certain suburbs where, they, where, the, where the testing people were going to people's houses, knocking on the door and saying, hi, we have no idea whether we've got the coronavirus or not, but we want to test you. Um, and, and they did that in, in three or four suburbs and we discovered 500 cases. Wow. Um, and then we're getting 500 new cases every day. Um, and so, uh, and so there's this feeling in, in Melbourne at the moment as we, as we have a government mandated curfew for the first time since like World War II, um, that, uh, that, that hopefully we're, we're just getting the toothpaste back in the tube just in time. And we'll, we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. Um, but it's like that with intelligence, right? It, it sort of it sort of ticks along and it ticks along and it ticks along, and then you get to this point, and it just explodes. Yeah. And human beings got just smart enough that we could have grammar. Grammar plus gossip means that I can come up with something that you've never imagined, and I can explain it to you. And then we can have conversations about it and we can explain something else in terms of the things that we just came up with. And you get this cascading, yeah. incredible explosion of intelligence thing happening. Um, and so the difference between human beings and computers is empathy. Yeah. Computers have... Computers so far have no capacity to imagine what someone else is thinking. We're starting to do some of that now. If you look at the stuff that's happening in image processing, um, they've, you know, computers are starting to be able to tell the difference between a truck and a letterbox, which is actually, you know, way more difficult than you think until you actually get into how all that stuff works. Yeah, but they they they're able to do that a lot of the time, um, and there's a there's a picture I shared on my Facebook feed not too long ago where, where there's this this cat that's looking at the camera, and the Google image processing thing will look at that cat and go guacamole. <laughs> um, it thinks that the cat is guacamole, but if you rotate the image slightly, then the Google image processing thing will look at it and say cat. And what they did to, to, you know, they actually studied how the Google image processing thing works and hacked it so that they worked out how to produce an image of a cat that gets misclassified. Um, the same researchers have got a, a, a turtle that gets classified as rifle and then rather pleased with themselves because you can rotate the image and still gets classified as a rifle. Um, and to any human, it's very easily recognized as rifle. What they're doing is they're building artificial intelligences that are examining the Google image processing thing in order to work out what it thinks a thing is going to look like in order to generate a, an image that's going to fool it. So we're not quite at gossip, but computers are learning to lie to each other. Mm. And so gossip might not be too far away. Um, and yeah, and there's a and there is actually, there's another AI, there was, there was a language translation AI where they thought, 
maybe what they could do is get you know these two neural networks to, to talk to each other and um and, and and exchange meaning with each other and within a couple of hours they had stopped using any human accessible language they went like one of them yeah. spoke english and the other one spoke Russian. yeah yeah and the researchers got scared and turned them off yeah because um, it was coded in a language that the humans could no longer understand and it freaked them out yeah yeah like what are they talking about is this mm -hmm. the birth of skynet Mm -hmm. We had no way of knowing. Um, and so, yeah, working out our relationship with the machines is is going to get progressively trickier. But for now, um, you know, uh, and there's, and if you read, oh, I forget his name, but it's the viable systems model. Um, and it's a cybernetic theory. And it's, and it's basically, and it's a 20 year old, 25 year old paper, um, which basically describes how we could build computers that have feelings and why we might want to. Hmm. Um, and, and part of the value of that is understanding the value of human feelings. Yeah. Um, Cause it's good to have feelings. And so how feelings work according to cybernetic theory um, feelings are kind of in the layer four or five space. Um, and, and in fact, if you look at the layers, the viable, viable systems model, it's, it's I find par parallel invention really reassuring. I spent two or three years working out my five layered model. I took it to a conference. I met Patrick Hoverstadt and he goes, your five layer model is similar to the viable systems model. And we worked out that the, the viable systems model is a model of events occurring at layer five at the level of strategic decision making and who am I and, and what am I about? Whereas my cognitive layering model is a layer four model because everything I do tracks back to layer four and, and, and negotiation with people. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact that there is so that these one, one of each model is a reflection of the other um, and viable systems model is older. So I'll say my, my model reflects the viable systems model. And so Viable Systems says, what are the decisions you need to make in order to survive? And my model, what are the things you need to think about in order to be able to communicate comprehensively? Um, I'm perilously close to actually getting to the point here. I'll, I'll have to find a new tangent in a minute. Um, <laughs> but. Um, but at, at layer five, you're dealing with these, with this, with the problem of, of infinity. Yeah. So it's there are there's an infinite number of things that I could be doing, but I have a finite quantity of action resources. So what am I actually going to think about? What am I actually going to do? And so it's how you detect the world. Um, and so and so there's a configuration of your detectors that you've talked about and that and that people talk about a lot you know if you can learn to see the positive right people people say that all the time and 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 the and it really is like it's it's literally that if you can if you can configure the neural network in your head because neural networks are basically image processing systems if you can get it to see the things that are good then you'll be able to have opportunities to get good things. But if you can't see them 
and or you don't value them, then you won't interact with them. So you, and so if you want to be happy, and not everybody does, um, then then learning to see the good is is the most powerful thing you can do in terms of being happier. Um, yeah, uh, our brains are like really just confirmation bias machines in in some sense, where w whatever it is we go looking mm. for, we're just going to keep seeing it over and over and over again. So you can sort of use that to your advantage once you recognize it, and you can sort of sort of condition yourself deliberately to look for the things that you want to be true, so that they, it becomes a self reinforcing feedback loop. Yeah, yeah, and so. And so the task at the very top of an organization is to say, how are we going to configure our senses? How are we going to tell the difference between good and bad? You know, mm -hmm. Is it good to have 30,000 views? Probably. But maybe not. Right? Um, you know, and, and is that the best metric? And, and we talked about how Medium gives you this opportunity to retrain yourself. You know, because my article with 50 views has made me... 90 cents, whatever the number it is, um, it's made me you know, about a dollar, um, whereas my article with one and a half thousand views has made me nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and so Medium is very nicely structured to discourage clickbait and encourage substantive communications. Um, and, and they're nudging me by giving me a few cents and a, and a, and a, and a dose, dose of dopamine, which is way more effective than the, the few cents, yeah. um, to go right for a specialized audience. Um, and so there's that, yeah, so, so orienting yourself towards a purpose is required if you're going to achieve something, because otherwise you, you, you're basically just rolling the dice. You know? um, uh, and, and then looking at whether things that you do actually take you towards your purpose or not is really useful. Um, and so that reconciliation with reality and the people around you is the level four work. And then having a way of doing things is layers one, two, and three. Right? So the, the point where you're actually, you know, and so, and and these layers are all valuable. I was having, I was having, You've heard the, the 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 story about the stonemasons, right? There are three stonemasons working on a wall, and and one of them is like putting things on the wall. And then the guy comes up to him and says, "What are you doing?" He says, "I'm arranging these stones." And there's another bloke who's just sort of, going, "Oh yeah, I'm putting things on the wall." Uh, the guy says, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm making a wall." Um, and then there's this other bloke who's like, "Oh, here I am arranging you know, exactly the same task. What are you doing? I'm building a cathedral." Mm -hmm. um, people will tell you that the guy who's building a cathedral is better than the other two. Um, and I don't like that. I think that sourpusses who actually really care about getting the stones placed exactly right might actually be building better quality walls than the other two. Because um, he actually like is paying attention to exactly where the stones go. When they're not quite in the right place, he's angry and he's shifting it and that sort of thing. Right? Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, and so there's that. And but the things that human, the thing that humans can do that computers can't is that they can have a conversation like this one, which is to say, 
there's a thing that I want to get into your head and there's a thing that you want to get into my head and we both want to be doing some stuff that is good for the world and and it's at the limit of what we can conceive. Yeah. Right? Here we are talking about it. And if you pay attention to the conversation as a whole, you can see that it kind of has a shape and certain themes are reoccurring and that sort of stuff. But, but I can't just use a word and give it to you. Right? There's, there's, there's Buddhist scriptures on this specific topic that, that I love in terms of there's, there's shit you just can't say. And yeah. yeah, and when we're quiet now, there's, it's a quietness that sort of has a meaning and a resonance and there's something satisfying about that moment of quiet that we just had. And that's what machines can't do. They can't, they can't explore a potential connection. We can help them. We can build APIs, and we can have plugs, and we can say, if you give me a request, if you type in a search term, then I will give you search results. We can do that. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what Google can't do is relate to me. It can learn about me. It knows which ads I click on and which ads I don't, and um, and 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 all of those kinds of things. And it can test my responses, but I'm never going to feel that Google understands me. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's for it's for that reason that I actually don't worry as much about the machines as I worry about the consolidation of power among a few people who control the machines. Because the the mm. people who control Google and the people who control Facebook and the you know the, the people at the, that are that are leveraging the power of these tools, they do have the ability to understand us at scale. So it it, it reminds me of and I can't remember the mm. name of this thing, but if you were to take um, uh, just you know hundreds of these tiny metal balls and pour them into a uh, uh, like a grid, depending on how the pegs on that grid are arranged, they would fall in like a normal distribution. Uh, uh, you know, those, mm. those, those metal balls, you know, and they, they would bounce yeah. around and they, you know, and, and I know there's a name for that thing, but it, the, the idea is they don't need to know us as in, as they don't need to know us people as individual, as individuals, they know what they're trying to achieve and they have a mm. very large set of us to work with to nudge how yeah. they want us to be nudged. And so they can put their finger, you know, somewhere and prevent those balls from going where they would normally go. And they can, and they can, instead of a normal distribution, they can make a bimodal or that, you know, it could be, who, who knows but, what, yeah, how they can, can manipulate the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and, and that's what I worry look about. At, yeah. And there's the influence of, of Murdoch's news. You know, if you look at, if you look at three countries that have had problems in terms of the coronavirus, the USA has had, had serious problems, the UK has had serious problems, and Australia has had a second spike. Um, and in all three of those conversations, you have news organisations owned by Rupert Murdoch saying the, com the, the government is wrong when it tries to do something about this. Yep. And you shouldn't believe anyone but us. Yep. Um, and... Uh, 
and and that is yeah <laughs> we agree um uh the the good news i mean this is not a new phenomenon yeah propaganda is as old as speech um and the um the internet was designed um the internet was designed by the u.s department of defense and part of its mandate was that it had to be able to withstand a nuclear strike mm -hmm. and so it has these 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 ways of shifting traffic about and and although there may be occasional interruptions in the quality of service, I mean, what, a, what a beautifully timed, thank you, Australian NBN, um, for, for that reminder that the, 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 the internet is self-healing and it reestablishes the connections automatically, right? Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, and, um, and, 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 there were there were there were some very anti-establishment people working on these Department of Defense projects, and they also built in features to make the internet hard to censor. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that there is a te technical infrastructure that allows the dark web to come into existence is not an accident. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I don't go to the dark web. I don't think it's a good idea to go to the dark web, but it's there, mm -hmm. um, and it's very hard to stop. Um, and, and so we have, and we, and, 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 and you're in the States and I'm in Australia and we're having a conversation about Fox news. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that for us to have had this conversation 30 years ago, we would have needed to go to Fox news and ask them if we could borrow a studio. And I don't think they would have said yes. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so, uh, and so, you know, part of my, you know, because I, I had these really powerful nostalgic urges with regard to tribal societies and experiences like actually getting to know some tribal people and, and reading the, the day before yesterday cured me of my nostalgia. Um, and so, and so the problems that we have today are the worst problems that we have today, mm -hmm. but it's useful to to look at the trend. You know, it's, it's like my medium stats. Yeah, the fact that they dropped by eighty percent doesn't mean that they're not three times higher than they were a week earlier. Right. Um, and so, and 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 I I spent two or three hours being miserable about that drop. <laughs> right. And my and my numbers are improving again. Right. Because I because I pulled my finger out and I got motivated and I and I and I and I wrote. Right. Which yes. Is, which is that's what you the have cure. <laughs> that's the cure for the yeah, most. That's the right. Yes. Yeah, and so the cure for Fox News is in part its medium, um, and it's also resurging us, um, and it's and it's all of these things, um, and we've got six billion experimenters on this planet who are all trying to improve something mm -hmm. and and in the end the historical tendency has been for us to largely do pretty well i 
there are also some, you know, there are civilizations that have collapsed and one of the more common causes for collapse of a civilization is when the environment no longer sustains human life. Right? It, happened, um, yeah. it happened in the pre-Incan civilizations and, um, and it happened in, on Easter Island. And, and now that we have a globally connected economy and everything's connected really well to everything else, we are all going to live or die together. Yeah. Um, and and I really hope we don't die. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's not be depressed about that because because we're currently frightened of environmental collapse and disease, and we were frightened of nukes, and we've been pretty successful with the nuke problem. It's not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's solved, but it's a lot less scary than it was. Yeah. Agreed. I, I well, you know, I, and I think it could it could it could ebb and flow potentially. Hopefully, it it stays minimal as 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 minimal as it as it has been. But I, you know, I think the risk is rising a little bit more as as uh, the the world becomes increasingly more complex. I, I worry about India and Pakistan, for example, sometimes. And you know, there's there's certain fault lines that 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 uh, give me more stress than than others. Um, I I I actually. Um, uh, scheduled another uh conversation in 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 uh 10 30 so mm, starting I, pretty soon yeah yeah so i i want to aim to to kind of um wrap up and consolidate and and make a plan for the next uh, uh the next time we'll have a, a conversation so i want to uh before we close out give you a little bit of an idea of what my vision is for for the group and and uh and invite you to be Part of it to whatever whatever degree uh, uh, you have time and interest for, uh, and cool. part of it has come yeah. come come uh, clear through these conversations. And I think I, I, just as as with Medium, how it, you know I I kind of encouraged you and and pushed you, and you also uh, uh, were an inspiration for me as well. And it hmm. became became a, a self reinforcing feedback loop. Um, you know, that that's exactly what I want to yeah. what I want to do with with all aspects of the group. And so I'm gonna. Uh, I, I'm going to keep on having these kinds of conversations. This is the first of many uh, where I'm going to invite the authors in our group on. And that's the, uh, you know, that's the skill that I want to promote people to develop uh, because I think that authoring is, mm. is unique in the sense that it gives us the ability to develop other options, just like what you were talking about, where we create new words yeah. and we create new fictions. That's the cascade tool. That's, that's the one that, that that just makes the exponential go off into infinity, right? And so the, the kind of abundance that we cannot currently envision is is what I want to yeah. uh, uh, develop. Uh, you know, not just materially, but in in all aspects of our life. Where if if we're uh, it, it, I, I like what you were focused on as far as the decisions. I think that's exactly right. Where we were making meaningfully meaningful decisions, that's where we're at our flow state that's where mm -hmm. that's where we're at that that's why that's why computer games are so addictive because we're doing things that feel like they yeah. really matter and we're making these decisions and so that's what we get addicted to and they tell you whether you're winning or losing yeah the, the instantaneous Sorry. feedback exactly no it, well and that's that's one of the things about mm -hmm. medium too is you get that instantaneous feedback of you, you know are do people mm -hmm. like what i'm writing about or should i write about something else or or should i uh, uh, or, or do I not care that they aren't really reading this and I find it fulfilling or, you know, you have all these, all these options yeah. of how you want to look at it. And, 
Um, and, and so what I mm. want to do with the group is I, I do want to promote that as, as a cultural feature for our group is, is that uh, I, I'm going to highlight and, and spend some time with, with uh, authors and I want to uh, have it become an incubator for people that are, are trying to grow and trying to develop in, in some kind of a, uh, a skill. So there's some students in there. Uh, some of them mm -hmm. I, I, I have taught myself at, at, at my workplace. <laughs> and uh, now I, don't, I don't know how many of them necessarily want to pursue uh, computer careers or, or programming careers. But uh, mm -hmm. the fact that there are people in our group like yourself who have years of experience and can give guidance you know, that's, that's one of those things that I want to, you know, in, in the same way that medium creates publications and you can have, you know, a publication about yeah. justice and you can have a publication about AI and you can have a publication about, uh, uh, humanity and another one about crypto and, you, you know, and, and you can cascade this thing. And I keep using that word, but I, I need a different one, but you, you know, you can, mm. you, you can, no, I, you can fold it sure. over again. And, 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 it, and it's like, you're, you're, it's like you're kneading dough and you're just folding it into itself again and creating so many more layers. And, and yeah. that and is, if you like cascade, then don't be ashamed of it. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful word. It is. And, and that, and that's, that's, that's yeah. really what I want to do. And I, and I want to, <laughs> so, I, so I want it to be uh, uh, the kind of thing where, where, you know, if you have a project, for example, don't be shy to recruit people into it. Mm. Uh, and, and uh, you know, even if it's something mm. where they're trying to learn a skill and would have to be doing it for free. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a problem at all. I, I would love to see something like that develop. So, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned you had at one point 12 people that were working yeah. for you as volunteers and uh, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe there's, maybe there could be a, a, a half dozen or a dozen people in the group that, that would be interested in learning a skill and retraining, uh, it, you know, even if they're someone who's not necessarily at the beginning of their career. So, uh, so those are some of the ideas I've had bouncing around, but I, I think as we write some more, uh, more ideas will blossom and we'll, we'll just have that interchange where it, it just keeps, um, bouncing back and forth and magnifying each, each time, like a, like a positive, uh, uh, feedback. Yeah. Oh my God. I've just discovered that there's a comments tab and there's a whole conversation that, so oh, yeah. I, I, I'd love to, I'd love to, I'd love to have this conversation again, and actually, um, uh, and actually respond to the comments and and include the include that people was more. Um, I'm a, sorry, I was supposed to be here Jamieing and bring comments up in real time, but Fred just got his starship, so I'm. I'm I'm bringing him onto a Macintosh for the first time in like two decades, so I, I my my attention is very much torn. I'm still here. I'm still behind the curtain, but yeah, that that was my bad. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> no, well, not, I mean, not all Jenner. No, and I I I didn't. I wasn't looking at the comments tab uh, either. I I should have I should have thought to do that. So I'm I, Isaac had a lot yeah. of comments in there. I'm sorry, Isaac. This is um, great. No two minds ever came together without thereby creating a third invisible intangible force, which may be likened to a third mind. Um, so well, sure. yeah, that one. I, I like. I like that next one. There's yeah. Um. There's lots of. Um. Yeah. We. We. I. 
it was our first conversation. We're both uh, we're both learning as we go, and I think that people will forgive us. There's a there's an understanding, I guess, that although our our layer three system for doing this is not as mature as it like would would like it to be, that the stuff that we're aiming for seems to be compatible with the people that things are on. No worries from from Isaac. Brilliant. Um, yeah, thank you very much for it's 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 brilliant to feel. Um, a little bit less alone and a little bit less self-conscious. So you know, there's easily five cents worth of, of dopamine <laughs> that I've, I've had from these comments, and that's that's brilliant. I, I, I've had a fantastic time. I, I am I am definitely looking forward to our next talk, Nick. And uh, you know, I, I I plan to have more and more things develop, and I, I can easily envision you as being one of the leaders of of one of these groups that's going to be. You know, having regular conversations. So, and, and Jenner's yeah. thinking the same thought. <laughs> I'm a Lego movie nerd. My, well, new, I, my new mission in life is to unleash the superhero inside of everybody who's like, oh, it's not for me. I'm like, yes, the fuck it is. If I have to be the sloppiest dipshit on full display to tell you that, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, you don't. You did like no. I'm I'm a high school dropout who cleaned toilets. If I can do it, you can do it, uh, and way better than me, presumably. <laughs> Obviously, that's like why I'm so attracted to you guys in in this domain. Because I'm like, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, gold. Well, but yeah, gold, and the superpower. The this is what I was just telling Jenner the, the other the other day is that the, the uh, guys like Nick and I are are perfectionists that are are so cautious and. Uh, you know, the, I, I know exactly what you're talking about when you restart and, and go back to the previous save and just make sure everybody lives through yeah. the mission. I am so there. I, I know exactly where that's coming from. And, and but yeah. but Jenner is the kind of guy who it's like, you know what? We're going to figure it out on the way. Let's go. Let's go. And slap on the cheat yeah. codes. God mode, motherfuckers. <laughs> right, We're charging right. into this through. bitch. I don't care. <laughs> I yeah. don't care. Yeah. Resource acquisition. I'm not playing that fucking. We got a mission to do. Yeah, uh, so, I'm a cheater. As a gamer, time. I'm a cheater uh, for <laughs> sure, and a modder. I'm I'm a cheater and a modder at, in the game domain. So that that should explain uh, a little bit of my ethic as to where I'm coming into this. From. Yeah, and, and this is like a cheat code. I let you know we Ooh. we would not be able to do this 20 years ago. We yeah. would not be having these conver kind of conversations with this kind of openness about the systems that are <laughs> that would do everything they could to not have these conversations get hurt and yeah it's, it's a it's a crazy world so exciting times yeah so i look forward to putting up a link and finding out you know how many people are actually <laughs> gonna sit through this for two hours much gratitude to isaac you've been a very very generous and gracious host i really appreciate the way that um you know uh hopefully you know uh, I, I, I'm self-conscious, but but you let me talk a lot, and um, and that's a really good, you know, good interviewers let people do that. Um, so thank you for for that. It was my pleasure. I, I, you have you have a lot to say, Nick, and uh, uh, people need to check you out on Medium. Thank you very much. And yeah, the, look look up the screwdriver in the drill. How following the rules um, nearly lost cost us the game. Uh, my God, I remembered the title of my article. Um, I, <laughs> It's um, I'm 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 proud of that, and it and it and it gives you an idea of where I'm coming from in terms of the importance of of understanding what's actually happening and having a, a sympathetic point of view, and not necessarily being a perfectionist about following the rules. Mm. Fuck we, the rules. 
kids. <laughs> no, we Amen. need rules, Jenner. That's no, what got us to... into this mess in the first place. Guys <laughs> following the rules. Fuck the instruction manual. Fuck the rules. Fuck that. No, we are so <laughs> We're much back cooler. to the beginning of the conversation. We're, we're going to yeah. rewrite the rules. We're going to rewrite the rules. That's yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. How to make like we work. need to. The, yep. the, the, I have the rules room. about how to rewrite the rules. I love it. I love it. All right, we're gonna investigate that more uh, uh, next time. We're gonna let you go, Nick, and and uh, we we've got another person up. Uh, uh, this is gonna be uh, Moshi, and so we're we're looking forward to that. I, I've oh, got him in just man. a couple minutes, so we have to we have to get moving on that. Woo! Thank Nick, you for having it has me. Been, Jesus Christ, it has been awesome. This was gold, absolutely gold. It, to cosmic palladium, so we went to an asteroid for this shit, motherfucker. <laughs> This was amazing. Ah. I caught I caught fleeting moments of it, and it was cosmic beauty. It was like dandelion fluff on the wind. It was gorgeous. I loved every second of this. This is uh, there is serious a, value for me in terms of knowing which bits oh were people's God. favorites. So um, yeah, if you have a favorite bit, if you have a bit where I was incredibly boring, I want to know. Um, I'll Feedback let you go. welcome. Feedback yes, welcome. absolutely. Yep. Love you. Feedback guys. is oxygen. Well. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next time. See you then. Save the world or die trying. That's my new <laughs> catchphrase. I don't give a fuck. Thank you for listening to this episode of Resurgent Us. This is audio from a live show with Nick Argall, who is my Australian spirit animal. And hopefully, if things go to plan, if the cosmos clicks into place, he will be starting a show down there in Australia. And we're going to help it and empower it and click it into the network. Um, that's what Mindwave is. That's what it's always been. Um, and it's starting to work to where new shows are starting. New shows are being created every day, which is amazing. Um, and that's what Mindwave is now. It's what it always was. It's what it always will be. But hopefully you guys are starting to get a sense of how powerful these conversations are because that's how this works <laughs> for real um jesse and i connecting is the reason this show exists and jesse connecting with nick is now the reason that his show is going to exist and they're all different they're all part of the same thing we're all connected in a deeply cosmic way so I guess I'll leave it there. This uh, track that you're hearing, this piece that I wrote, is called Caustic Network. Uh, which sounds... Ugh, caustic. Uh, no, it actually refers to the thing that happens to light when it shines on a pool. You see all those little patterns 
uh, that the light makes on the bottom of the pool, those are caustics. That's what we're creating. I love you. Thanks for listening.